This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Had a great time this weekend. We had the opportunity to hear from Pastor Chris Chadwick, uh, one of my best friends and one of my favorite preachers. I can say that uh, Pastor Chadwick has been an outstanding friend to me and an outstanding friend to our church as well. And so, excited to have him here with us today. In the history of Hui Kala Baptist Church, Hui Kala turns eight years old uh, this October. In the history of Hui Kala Baptist Church, only twice, today being one of them, has someone preached while I am here. Uh, the only other person to ever preach from our pulpit while your pastor is here is. Pastor Chris Chadwick. Uh, and so that's because I love to hear him preach. And uh, again, uh, in the history of our church, uh, I've only missed, um, I, I think it's four Sunday mornings uh, here in eight years. Uh, because, and sometimes people say you should take more time off, and I'm all for taking time off. But honestly, anywhere on the planet on a Sunday morning that I want to be, it's here with you guys. And so uh, again, I'm a local church pastor. I have no desire to go out and preach in other churches and things like that. I want to be here with you guys. And so uh, I count that a very high honor. But at, at the same time, uh, only a handful of men have ever stood behind this pulpit because I take the preaching of God's word in our church before our church family ridiculously seriously. And so we don't let just any Tom, Dick, or Harry come up here and share a word or a thought that they had last weekend. We want to hear Bible preaching from the word of God. And so because of that, uh, you can guarantee if somebody's up here uh, opening God's word, it's because I have great faith uh, in their ability to be able to exposit and expound on God's word in a way that will help our church family. And so uh, Pastor Chadwick and his wife uh, started the Canyon Ridge Baptist Church uh, in San Diego, California be 19 years old this November. This, no, this November will be 19 years for them, almost two decades ago. Uh, but uh, they, they started the church. Uh, Pastor Chadwick was selling candles door-to-door out of the back of his Ford Escort as a way to raise money to start a church. And he went to a place where people said, you shouldn't go to San Diego. It's too liberal. Uh, people hate God down there. They hate the Bible there. Churches don't last in San Diego. Uh, you shouldn't go there. Uh, you're never going to make it. It's too much of a transitory town. There's too much turnover there. You can't do it. Uh, but he said, I believe in God. And I love that measure of faith. And, and I'm telling you this, uh, Hui Kala is the church it is today because of the friendship that I have with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Uh, and so uh, we're delighted to have him with us today. Uh, let's give him a warm Hui Kala welcome to Hui Kala this morning. Pastor Chadwick, for All right. Genesis chapter 15 in your Bible. Sorry about that, guys. We're going to talk about fearless this morning. And I was thinking while I was watching the whole service, the scariest place to be at in church is on the soundboard, on the video board, or doing the live stream. And so I uh, appreciate these guys and all of their work and all of their effort uh, back there. That's awesome. Genesis chapter 15. Well, Debbie and I have had a great time. I, I forget some of the stories that we have, but every time I come here, Pastor King reminds me that I really did sell candles in the back of a pink Ford Escort uh, in order to pay for the beginning of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. I mean, I, for, I forget about those stories. And so uh, uh, that's awesome. I love your pastor. I love your church. If you're a guest here today, this is your first or second Sunday here, please do not hold the reflection of the church based on the guest speaker. Come back next week here, Pastor King. I love the way he applies the Word of God. He's a great Bible preacher, and I really do encourage you uh, to come back and to be a part of uh, who call it. I love the spirit here, uh, and I'm just very, very, very thankful for it. Well, 
your pastor uh, contacted me, I don't know, a month-ish ago, month, six weeks ago, and said, hey, when you get here, we're going to be in the middle of a series entitled Fearless, and I want you to preach on the subject of fear or not fearing. And so as soon as I got that email, I'll be very honest with you, I got pretty scared about it. I thought, oh, dude, uh, not because I don't have messages on that, but because now I'm like, oh, and it's just something about preaching, and it's like, yeah, I want you to preach on this subject, and then all of these internal emotions start happening, and then you start trying to buy messages. I couldn't find any, and I asked Debbie to write one, and she's like, no, I'm afraid too, so she didn't, and, and I asked my daughters, and they were more than happy to write messages for me. Uh, they've been trying to write my messages just their whole life. I've got a daughter, Judith. She's uh, 25. I've got a daughter, Natalie. She's 23 or Billy 23 in October. And uh, it's a little bit intimidating. Fear is an interesting thing. Sometimes we can be afraid of things irrationally. How many of you ever have irrational fears? You don't have to raise your hand, but feel free to. It'll help me feel better. Um, I have some irrational fears. I am irrationally afraid of heights. Anybody else in the room afraid of heights? Anybody else? Like, like I, here's my thought. If God wanted us up in the air, he'd have given us wings. But because we don't have wings, he expects us to stay on the ground. But I'm, I'm irrationally afraid of heights. If you go to our church auditorium, our, our church looks like a clamshell. It's really unique. It was, it was designed by one of Frank Lloyd's Wright, R- Lloyd Wright's disciples. And, and if you want to call him that, Frank Lloyd Wright was... He, considered himself to be the Messiah, I think. Uh, he's a great architect. And at the, at the peak of our building on the inside, is 20, it's 29 feet tall. And about once a year, once every other year, we have to bring in a lift and take it up. We have to do some type of work, either on lighting or sound or something, and we bring it in. And I am so afraid of heights that the first person to go up on the lift is always me. You say, why you? Well, I try to overcome that fear. But the reality is I'm deathly afraid of heights. So for our church's 10th anniversary, no, there's, the so should not have connected these thoughts. For our church's 10th anniversary, they were very, very gracious, and they sent us to the Big Island uh, for our 10th anniversary. They were just like, hey, you've been here for 10 years, started the church, we want to bless you and Debbie, and they sent us to the Big Island for, I don't know, 10, 15 days, something like that. I think it was 10 days, and we went to the Big Island. We go to the Big Island, and we get there, and Debbie starts looking for stuff to do. Now, my wife does not have this totally appropriate fear of heights. She says it's irrational. I think it's appropriate. And she said, hey, when we get to the big island, she'd been looking up stuff to do. She goes, I want to go zip lining. And I'm thinking to myself, good, go ahead. Because in our family, I know some of y'all are married, you can't do anything without the other person. But in our marriage, we'll be married, uh, what, what, 27 years this year. Uh, so in December, we'll be married 27 glorious years. We've enjoyed about 19 of them. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm kidding. Come to one of my marriage conferences. I tell stories. Uh, no lie. And uh, we've been married a long time. So I don't have a problem with Debbie keeping her independence and doing things that are stupid by herself. 
And so we get to the big island, and she says, hey, I found this place to go zipline. I'm like, great, when are you going? She goes, no, you've got to come with me. And I'm like, I don't have to. There's no law that says it. Jesus doesn't say it. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, thou shalt go ziplining with thy wife. She goes, come on, you know what I mean. I'm like, you know what I mean. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the sole authority for our family. Everything for faith. I started having church there. It was so good, I gave an offering to myself. And she normally, when I preach it, she normally is an encouragement, but sometimes she acts like, well, her mom, and she's like, I don't agree with anything you just said. So, so I'm like, okay, fine, finally, you beat me down. I'll go zip lining with you. How bad can it be? I had no idea. We go to the zip line place, and we were on the Kona side of the island, dry side of the island. We have to go over to the Hilo side, and we take this beautiful scenic route. And the whole way there, I'm like, couldn't we just enjoy the day? She's like, well, we've already paid for it. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> she goes, it was expensive. Again, who cares? We finally get to the place, and I'm not kidding you. It's like we had to sign up, and we had to sign up in this building that was built in like, uh, it, it was an outhouse. I'm not kidding you. It was like this tiny little building. It was hot. It was muggy. It stunk. The dude behind the counter looked like he was, I mean, just uh, looked like he hadn't bathed in months. And he's like, oh, bro, it's going to be fun. I'm like, oh, bro, no, no. And Debbie's like, it's going to be great. And then they say this to us. They say, no lie. They say, hey, get into this van and we'll drive you there. Now, I'm not controlling, but I want to drive myself wherever I'm going. That way I can leave. And I said, no, 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 I'll drive. And they were like, no, no, you can't drive because it's special land through a pineapple, you know, farm or whatever they're called. What are they called? Well, anyway, I'll look that up online later. Don't Siri it right now. And, and we drive through this pineapple orchard, this tree farm, all this stuff. And he goes, and, and we'll get there. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get in a van with a dude I don't know. Going to a place I don't know that has no cell phone reception to go on zip lines that I don't want to go on that are hundreds, if not thousands of feet in the air. Nothing about this is safe. This is stupid. Now, I'll take my wife to New York City. We'll go to the hood. Hey, you want to go to the worst neighborhoods? I'm good with the hood. I understand the hood. I can defend myself. I can protect myself. I know what to look for. I know how to, how to get away from bad situations. I mean, I am fine with the hood. Zip lines in the middle of nowhere with people I've never met. Bad idea. So we get there. And the... <laughs> I'll sign autographs later, son. That'll be great. Thanks for laughing. You can move into my family. My kids don't laugh anymore. They're like, we've heard those jokes before, Dad. We get to the zip line area. You get out. I don't know if you've ever done it. I pray to God you never go through this. And we get out and we go to the zip line area and they have this place and they go, okay, you got a harness on. So you take this thing about that looks like they use dental floss to make it. And you got to put it over your legs and everything and, and you get on. And, and then I remember, poof, memory. Hey, and I'd forgotten it until that point. And they, I said, hey, what's the weight limit? Because I'd read their website, 275 was the weight limit. I'm 275. Ever since Debbie told me that we wanted to go, we, she wanted to go ziplining, I'd been eating like mad. 
I don't ever drink soda. Like, never drink soda. I'm down in two liters of Coke, Dr. Pepper. I'm intravenously putting it in my body. I walk by, by bags of Doritos. I'm consuming them. Twinkies. I put them out of business that trip. I mean, I'm doing everything I can. I probably gained about seven pounds in one day. And I get up there to the guy, and I'm like, hey, bro, I just, I, you know, it's okay. I think I'm over the weight limit. And Debbie's like, oh, come on. He's not that much over the weight limit. And I remind my wife, weight limit is weight limit. One pound over, you don't go. And she's like, I knew you would do this. I knew you'd do it. And I'm like, what can I do? We're on vacation. I always eat Doritos. She's like, you haven't eaten Doritos in 10 years. I'm like, I know, but you get what you get. I'm over the weight limit. Weighed myself. I'm like 282. And I'm thinking, oh, praise the Lord. I've never been so happy for weight gain in my life. And so I look at the guy. I'm like, I guess I can't go. And Debbie looks at me like, I'm so mad at you. And the guy looks at me. First time I ever experienced Ohana in my life and hated it. This aloha spirit that Hawaiians have. He goes, oh, bro, it's all good. They should hold you just fine. We get up, and you, I don't know if you've ever done it, I'll probably say it a few times, but it's a stupid thing to do. They put you, some of you are like, I love ziplining. Matter of fact, my dad owns that company right now. Don't tell your dad. But you get on top of these telephone poles that are waving in the breeze, and you hook into this little line, and then they put you on, and then the guy's like, go, and everybody goes. And it's like, and everybody's like waving their arms and pretending they're birds or whatever. And I get on there. I'm literally sweating profusely. I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm on top of a telephone pole, and I'm doing this the whole time. People are like, are, bro, are you okay? No, no, can I get off of here? And one guy goes, listen, there's nowhere for you to get off. We're too far into the forest. If you get off, there's no way to walk out. You are stuck here. You'll die in the forest. And I said, okay. <laughs> I'm good. We make it. Finally, we make it through 270, 81 pounds. I ate Doritos for nothing. We get to the last one. And they tell us when we get to the last one, the last of like 4,000 zip lines, it was four days later, and the Bataan marched through the zipline forest. And we get to the last one, and they hook us in, and they say, now this is the longest zipline in the, in the U.S. No zipline is bigger than this zipline. You're going to go over a waterfall that's 400 and something feet down. The goalie is 500 and something feet down. Look around, have fun, enjoy yourself as you just go careening through a beautiful rainforest. Nobody gets to see this. You can't even hike in this area. It's amazing. People are going, they're laughing, they're giggling. I'm sitting on top of the telephone doing this. Debbie goes, you got to understand, Debbie goes, she doesn't weigh very much. She goes, and her little zipline's like, bzzz, and she gets about halfway and stops. She literally does. I get on. I'm right next to her. I get on, 281 pounds now, full of Doritos and Coke, ready to just formaldehyde myself on the inside. I get on there, and I'm not kidding you. It's like a Formula One race car. It's like, wow. I like went by Debbie. 
And, and, and people are like, did you see anything? No, I didn't see a thing. Nothing. I went way too fast. It was just, I was there. I was done. I'm at the end. I get to the end. The guy running the thing goes, we've never seen anybody go this fast in all our years. I'm at the end. Debbie's in the middle. I'm like, hey, there's my wife. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go get her. I'm like, no, leave her there. Leave her there like, why? we, we got to go get her. Like, no, she wanted a zip line. Let her stay there. Let her stay there for the rest of, well, her now going to be very short life. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Here's my point. I mean, sometimes we can be fearful of irrational things. There was no need for me to be afraid of a zip line. The reality is I'm just a big baby about it, and that's just the way that it is. But sometimes fear is very, very real, and we're fearful of real things. As we come to our text of scripture this morning, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, his name's Abram at the time. God had not yet changed his name to Abram. I'll, I'll use them interchangeably. It's the same dude. Uh, Abram is going through a very difficult time. If we had the time, we'd go back and study Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram, who was one of the wealthiest men in all the world, to leave the town where he was, was living, it's Haran, to leave his land and to travel in the promised land or the Canaan land. But he was just to be a wilderness wanderer. He was going to be a, a, maybe you would think of it this way, like a Bedouin. He would live somewhere for a while and pick everything up and move. But it wasn't just him. It was him and his wife and his servants and his house and his cattle. And the dude was the, one of the richest people in the world at the time. And so when he travels, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that are with him. Some people would even say thousands of people that were with him. It was a major operation whenever Abraham moved. Well, why would Abraham do all this? Why would he leave his business context? Why would he go into the wilderness? Why would he wander throughout all of this space? Well, he did it if you look over in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3. It says in, in verse number 2, I should say, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then God goes on to say, I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to bless you and you're going to have an heir. Well, Genesis chapter 12 happens 10, 12 years before Genesis chapter 15. So Abraham is 75 years old when God promises him that he's going to have a son. And now by the time we get to Genesis chapter 15, he's somewhere around, somewhere around, we can't say for sure, somewhere around 85, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger, but somewhere around 85 years old. So it had been about 10 years since the promise of God when God had promised Abraham. And 85-year-old men begin contemplating things like, how much longer am I going to live? My dad is 77 years old, which is not really old, and he's in phenomenal health. But it seems like every time we talk, we talk about the temporariness of his life. He always says things like this to me, son, I want the last few years of my life to really count for Christ. He's retired. He retired last September, but he's working harder now than he ever has. He's traveling all over the country. My dad was a pastor. He's traveling all over the country, helping small churches and young pastors and encouraging them in the word of the, of the Lord. He just simply says, I want my life to count. The last few years of my life, I really want it to count for Christ. And so my dad's just really, really investing his life. And what is he saying there? He is saying, I don't have much time left. Abram is 85 years old, and he doesn't have the son that God promised. And he's really becoming very 
very fearful over this fact. Now, some of you are like, well, I wouldn't be fearful if I was 85 and not having a son. Well, neither would I. I'd be happy to be 85 and not have a, a, an infant in my house. That's why young people, some of you are young, you have kids. We praise God for you. I'm 47. I, my kids are in their 20s. I thank God for that. You're a pastor, almost as old as I am. He has a three-year-old. I pray for him. <laughs> and then I laugh. I laugh at him all the time. It just brings me so much joy to know that he's getting up in the middle of the night and answering dumb questions of why, 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 why. I've got 20-year-olds and like, I don't like your questions. Get out of the house. Like, where, where should I go? They don't live with me. Like, where, where should I go? I don't know. Go to your house. Go to the house you pay for. You don't pay anything here. Get out. And they'll come over and sit next to me. Oh, dad, you're just kidding. I'm really not, but whatever. Go ahead and stay. But eventually they leave. Um, but 85 years old, I don't have a son. God, what, what's going on? Notice verse number one of our text. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not. Now, in chapter 14, you got to understand something. In chapter 14, Abram has this major victory. He defeats the armies of the east, a confederacy of nations from the region modern-day Iraq, and they were called the kings of the east. They had come in, and they had captured Abram's really crummy nephew, Lot, and all of his family, and the town of Sodom and Gomorrah. They had kidnapped them all, and they're taking them back to be servants. And Abram uh, finds out about it, and he gets his men together, and they go, and they fight with that confederacy of nations there in the east, that group of nations that had come together, I call it the axis of evil, they come to, and, and Abram defeats all of them, and on his way back to the land, Abram in chapter 14, verse number 18, he meets a man named Melchizedek. Well, we believe Melchizedek is an Old Testament appearing of Jesus Christ. If you're a theologian, it's called a Christophany, and, he, and Abram is, is visiting with Melchizedek, and he gives him tithes of all that he has, and it's a, it's a wonderful, amazing experience with Abraham and Melchizedek. It's beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. It's one of the, I would submit to you, it has to be one of the heights of Abram's spiritual life. I mean, it's just so wonderful. He's never been closer to the Lord than he is in that moment. And then that happened at the end of chapter 14. That's over. And some time passes in 15. And now Abram is struggling. And Abram is fearful that he won't have a son. And God visits with Abram before Abraham, at least in the chronology of Scripture, before Abram even, even mentioned it or we see it mentioned and God says to him the word of the Lord comes to him and God says to Abram notice these words fear not well I want you to notice this this is what God is teaching us in this verse fear not Abram I am thy shield and thy great reward God's promises when it comes to fear major fear rational fear God's promises will be kept by God's power. God's promises will be kept by God's power. Fear not, Abram. Don't be full of fear. Don't be affrightened. Abram, don't allow yourself to be controlled by these thoughts. Abram, don't fear. We live in a world that induces fear that encourages fear, that teaches you to be afraid of everything and everyone from, from your body image to whether you can have children to how much money you're going to have in retirement to what's going on in the world to the imminent doom and imminent death. And here's what God is just saying. Fear not. Don't live your life captivated by fear. 
Some dude's like, oh, I'm, look, I'm big, I'm bad, I can take care of myself. I get it, I can too, I'm big too. We get that, but that doesn't mean we don't struggle with fear. Because fear is not dependent on your size. Fear is not dependent on your circumstances. Fear is not dependent on how much money you have in the bank. I heard Bill Gates say one time when he was the wealthiest man in the world, he said, everybody has really, everybody has financial problems. He said, but some of you it's in the thousands and some of us it's in the multiple billions. What's he say? It doesn't, your circumstances don't matter. Your condition of life doesn't matter. Fear is something that affects every single one of us. And here's what God is saying to Abram. Abram, do not be frightened. Well, why would I not be frightened? I'm 85 years old, God, and I don't have a son, and you promised me one 10 years ago. Well, don't be frightened, Abram, because I am thy shield and thy great reward. The word shield is a word for protection. I am your protection. I am the one who is going to protect you, and I am your reward. Reward gives the idea of, of, of wages for labor or provision. So God is saying, I'm your protection, Abram, and I am your provision. I'm the one who provides for you. I am the one who protects you. In other words, God is saying to Abram through, through this entire thing, Abram, I am in control. We're fearful, if we're honest, because we don't think God's in control. That's why we're fearful. I'm not attacking you for it. Remember, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of, of zip lines and confined spaces. I'm quite claustrophobic at times. One time your pastor, uh, I think for the fifth anniversary, invited Debbie and I to come out, our mutual friend Steve Chapel and his wife Lisa to come out. And your pastor, he always tells people he's my younger, better-looking, bearded brother. He might, all those things might be true, but an absolute moron on so many levels. And so he said, hey, we're going to pick you up and take you, we're going to go to Iaea Bowl, and we're going to eat lunch and go bowling. And I'd never been to Iaea Bowl, and I didn't know how much I had to look forward to. I love that place. Oh, what, what an answer to prayer that is for, from the Lord. I just love it. I love it. My greatest fear through COVID was not people dying, was that Iaea Bowl would close down. Don't think I'm kidding. I'm like, that and Mac 24-7. It's like, I just got to eat at both those places. One, heaven will be filled with places like Iaea Bowl and Mac 24-7. I'm just telling you right now. And burritos from San Diego. Uh, and, and your pastor said, it's, it's irrational. He said, I'll pick you up. So he picks Debbie and I up first, and we, we get in the, the van that they have. And, and Debbie's sitting in the back. I'm sitting in the front. He goes, oh, we're going to pick up Steve and Lisa. And uh, you, do you and Debbie mind sitting in the back? And I, I looked at the back, and I looked at myself. And it's one of those vans, you know, if it was a big, like, conversion van where you could walk into your back seat, no problem. But it's one of those vans where you got to, like, play Transformers to get into it. they got to roll out one seat, and you got to hit the side of it three times and do all this. And then you sit in, and it's like this, you know, Megatron helmet comes and sits down on you. And you sit like this the whole time, and, and you're just, you got to be small. And I get in the back of that seat, and they put the seat up. There's no way for me to get out. There's no airflow. I'm like, bro, you got to turn the AC on. He's like, it's as high as it could possibly go. And we're like brothers. We argue. I win every one of them. And 
I'm like, bro, you got to turn it on higher. He goes, what part of it's as high as it can go? Do you not understand? I'm like, it is really hot back here. This is a horrible van. Who buys a stupid van like this? He, he and Steve are both like, will you shut up? And, and my response to them, because I'm, I'm great friends with both of them. They're two of the greatest friends I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, no, I will not shut up. You don't put grown men back here. And about halfway through, Angela looks at me. I'm like, hey, I love you, but I'm about to climb all over you if he doesn't get me out of here. Like, you've got to to stop this van. And uh, he's like, you're not kidding. I'm like, no, my emotional well-being and your physical health are all in jeopardy right now. It's not rational. I get it. Abraham's fear is a rational fear. Did you hear what I said? I'm not blowing dude up for having a rational fear. Some of you are wondering, will my kids ever serve Jesus? Is my marriage going to make it? Is my husband or my wife's addiction, are we ever going to get victory over it? I don't think that we are. It's so, and, and we, have, we have fears that are legitimate. Can I ever get victory? And we, we ask these questions. Abraham's just being legitimate in his question. He's going through sincere pain. He, he's not trying to manipulate God. He's not trying to force God's hand. He's just genuinely concerned, genuinely frustrated. Why? Because the things that are happening don't make sense. Well, what doesn't make sense, Pastor? He's 85, and he doesn't have a son. 85-year-old men don't have sons. And his wife is about 70. 70-year-old women don't have children. Praise his holy name. <sighs> Abraham had to learn a lesson that God's promises will be kept by God's power, not by Abram's timing. And then we see in verse number six, verse number four, the scripture says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, to Abraham, saying, this shall not be thine heir, because Abraham asked this question in verse number two. He says, Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In that culture, if you didn't have a son, then you could give as an heir, you could give a servant who was born in your house, a trusted, valued servant. And this, this man, Eliezer, was a very faithful, very loyal servant that Abram loved like a son, but he was not the son that God had promised in Genesis 12. And Abram in chapter, or verse number three says, and Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and no one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this, this Eleazar shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him, and he brought him abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Abram, you're struggling with this? Come outside. Look up into the heavens. You see the stars? Now, those of us who live like in highly metropolitan areas like San Diego and Honolulu and Oahu in general, you look up in the stars and you have a lot of light pollution. This region of the world, Debbie and I have been there. We've been to where some historians say within 50 to 100 miles where Abraham was at the time. 
and you look up at the stars and it almost looks like you can reach up and just simply grab them. And there's so many that you couldn't, I mean, you could spend your life and you'd never be able to count them. And the galaxies seem like they're, they're, they're within arm's distance of you. And Abram, God takes Abram out. And Abram, you look up at the stars. This is what your seed will be like. He's still 85 years old. He still promised a son. His wife's still not pregnant. But you notice what Abraham did? Verse number six. And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. Abram, this is what it's going to be like. Abram believes in the Lord, and God counts it to Abram for righteousness. Here's point number two. Fear is controlled by faith. Fear is controlled by faith. Well, I don't know how this is going to work out. I know, but what did God say? Well, but, but come on. No, no, he believed. He believed in God. The word believed is the word reliable, steadfast, dependable. The idea here is that Abram is living out his faith. He would act on his faith. He would not be controlled by his fear. It's not simply intellectual belief. Abram is believing in God, and it's counted to him for righteousness' sake. Righteous, right in the eyes of God. The right attitude as expected by God. So follow the progression. Abram's talking to God. God, I'm worried you're not going to give me the son that you promised me. God, verse 4 and 5 says, I am. You are? Yeah, I am. Matter of fact, come with me. Look at the stars. Yeah, that's how many kids you're going to have. Innumerable. Here's Abram's response. Okay. What do you mean, okay? I mean, that's what he says. Verse number 16. He believed God like, okay, I trust you. We're good. I've got it. Complete trust in you. And that was counted to Abram for righteousness. But his, his, his fear was not overcome with anything tangible. His fear was not overcome with anything measurable. His fear was not overcome with, with anything that could be observed or measured or repeated. His fear was overcome with faith. You know why so many of you live in fear? Because you have no faith in the Lord. You don't have faith in the Lord that he's going to do what he said. You don't have faith in the Lord that he's going to keep his word. I mean, I, if I've had one, I've had 1,000 people say something like this. Well, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but... Well, wait a minute. Did the Bible say it? I'm not trying to attack anybody. I'm just simply saying, did the Bible say it? The reason that you live in a constant state of, of fear is because our faith is weak. I'm not, we all live in fear. Come on, I'm the claustrophobic guy that's afraid of heights and 275 pounds. I mean, we all struggle with fear, but the reason we're fearful is because we don't live in faith. And sometimes it is nothing more than, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust that your word is right. I'm going to trust that you're going to provide. I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of. I'm going to trust that you're going to protect. That's what I'm going to trust. Sometimes people don't want to trust God with their kids. 
They still want to trust God with their kids. Like, oh, God gave me these kids. They're a blessing. They're a treasure from the Lord. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to make sure that everything in their life goes perfect. We use a term for them, they're helicopter parents. But they've been helicopter parents for a lot longer than they've been helicopters. Why? Because they want to be in control. They want to make sure that Buford never has a bad day. They want to control everything about little Bufy's life. And so Bufy just lives a Bufitable life. In our staff, one of my best friends, such close friends to Trey and Lee Williams and their family is Bernie and Leslie Lund. Bernie came to our church out of the Naval Academy and he looked like a complete and utter moron when he showed up at our church. I mean that. You're like, oh, you're kidding. No, 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 I'm not kidding. He showed up in the year 2004, three, four, four, 2004. He showed up with corduroys on. We literally heard him coming down the parking lot. <laughs> you sanding paper over there, bro? What's going on? In corduroys, a striped sweater, a polo on underneath with the collar outside of it. It's like, oh, bro, this is Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. The nerd convention is down the road. And he showed up wearing his Naval Issue Academy. He's from the, he graduated the Naval Academy. His Naval Academy Issue running shoes. Gold and blue New Balance. He walked in and we thought, oh, my word, there's a homeschooler. <laughs> <laughs> Proof of the pudding. Um, and so, so Byrne came in. Not, it wasn't long after that, uh, like five years, that we got him to wear jeans. I literally bought him at 30-something years old his first pair of jeans. He had never owned a pair of jeans. Uh, I think one time he had ever owned a pair of jeans in his life, and I bought him a pair of jeans. And uh, we, uh, and, and his now wife, Leslie, grew up very just popular, fun, fun-loving young lady. They, they were not, you would never pick one for the other. Bernie wanted, uh, his perfect girl in Bernie's life was Hispanic girl, 5'3", who loved to cook and could speak Spanish. Leslie is from Lithuania. She's about 5'8", and very, very blonde. We make fun of her. She doesn't tan. She turns red. She has two colors, red and very white, and, and that's Leslie. Leslie wanted a surfer who was about 6'3", 6'4", who loved the water and fish and fishing. Bernie doesn't enjoy the water. He hates fishing, and he's terrible at it, and he hates everything related to it. There's nothing really like cool about Byrne other than his deep, abiding, passionate love for God, and he's the smartest guy in the room. If you meet Bernie, like he memorized the book of uh, Genesis in 30 days. He memorized like the whole book of Genesis in 30 days without a mistake, the whole book of Romans, the whole book of Hebrews, the Gospels. I think he's done uh, Mark, Luke, and he's working on John right now. First eight chapters, and I mean, Byrne's just a uber-intelligent dude. Um, like, like fun for him is doing like calculus questions in his head and, and fun for me is trying to figure out how to spell calculus I mean that's just Bernie I mean he's just a super bright dude well they get married long story they get married and and they have their first child after five years her name is Abigail not Abigail with a b but Abigail with a v why because he hates his children 
People will come there like, what's your name? Uh, Abigail. Oh, Abigail. No, 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 Abigail. Oh, Abigail. I know that. No, no, no. It's Abigail. And she's just learning to read. So she's like, and she just looks at me and I just look at her and I'm like, let's pray for your dad right now. Abigail. He's like, well, it means like heaven's treasure. I'm like, yeah, but you've given her the exact opposite life. And so Abigail is born. And when Abigail's just a baby, they were so protective of her. I mean to tell you, they, they, they walked behind her with Lysol and made sure that there were no germs in the room. I would ask, like, hey, can I hold your kid? Uh, or or I'd just go up. I don't really ask. It's not my personality uh, to ask permission. So I would just walk up, and I would just take Abigail. They're like, Pastor, do you know how to hold a baby? I have a 25-year, well, I was at the time, I guess, a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old. I changed their diapers all the time. I started working in the nursery as an 11-year-old kid at South Hill Baptist Church in Spokane, Washington. I, I, I know how to hold babies. What do you think I was going to do? Hold her by the leg and just let her sit there? They're like, well, we just want to make sure that you know how to hold babies. Yes, I know how to hold babies. Not hold them. Oh, Pastor, this is how you hold them. I'm like, I, yeah, I could probably teach you a few things. And I did. Yeah, unsolicited advice was unheeded advice. I can assure you of that. And so <laughs> I, I would hold the baby. And, and Abigail and I, she treats, I'm like a grandfather to her. And we have a great, great relationship. Well, they, since Abigail, they've now had three other children. One of them is with the Lord, Evia Grace, who, who died after 29 and a half hours of life. She had trisomy 13, and she's with the Lord. That's another story for another message, but a huge testimony of grace. And they had their son, Zephan. Zephan. Now, when Abigail was born, everything was regimented. Like, you knew what she was going to eat. You knew what she was going to drink. Like, they didn't let her, like, drink after people or whatever. And, and they'd get a little frustrated with me because I don't care about those rules. I consider rules things for other people. I'm a teenager at heart. That was supposed to be funny. I'm kidding. Uh, but Abigail, you know, her pacifier, they would keep, like, extra pacifiers in the bag in case one fell on the ground. When our kids, if a pacifier fell on the ground, we would just ask somebody to lick it off for her and put her back in the mouth. Like strangers would come by, hey, I'm busy, can you lick this off? And we put it in Judah's mouth. And, and, and I mean, everything was established for, for Abigail. They were just very, if I could say this word, fearful. Burn, uh, God's going to take care of that baby. I know, Pastor, but we, we want to make sure everything is right. Okay. Burn, God's going to take care of that baby. Pastor, we know. Okay. All right. Burn, it's all right. Don't be stupid, but it's okay. Baby number four comes, Zephan. He comes out of the womb. We go to the hospital. Leslie's holding him. She's like, you want to hold him? Throws him across the room like a medicine ball. Like, whoa, holy cow, man, head first. <laughs> I'm holding Zephan. She's like, oh, hold him up by his head, hand, uh, feet. We think he likes it. It rushes all the blood to his brain. Holding him up by his feet. He's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> hold him up, hand him back to the parents. The boy is now like 18, 20 months old, something like that. And about six months ago, I got a picture of Zephan walking down the sidewalk. He was thirsty walking down the sidewalk, and he's thirsty, and there's water on the sidewalk. So he just lays down on the ground like a puppy and starts licking up the water. He said, did they make him stop? No. No, no, no. <laughs> Matter of fact, they're sending us a picture. Like, Pastor, we thought you would be proud. <laughs> oh, what an answer to prayer. Yes. 
You say, how does the Zephan live? I, I don't know how he's going to live, but I'll tell you this. We're having a lot of fun in the meantime. He's now got all the boys in our little children's program, our junior church. I don't know. We, we got like that age right now. I don't know, like six or seven boys about that age. And now they saw him and they'd learned. And now whenever, and we have air conditioners that drip water out on our playground. So whenever they're thirsty, they just walk out and start licking up the water. <laughs> Parents are like, what do you think is going to happen? If they die, it's on you. I don't know. (laughs) Fear not. (laughs) Fear not. Here's the reality. Fear is controlled by faith. Because you can measure the water and put it through a filtration system and your kids only eat, you know... Stuff that is grown in your garden that is fertilized with chicken manure that you bought from your neighbor. And you water it with filtered water and yada, yada, yada. You, you could do all of that. But it won't remove fear. Fear is controlled by, listen to me, by faith. Well, Pastor, I, nothing can happen. Hey, here's what God's helping us to understand and Abraham to under, Abram to understand. Abram, nothing will happen unless I want it to happen, either good or I'll allow it to happen, maybe if it's bad. But faith is the thing that is going to control it. Abram, just trust me. Just trust me. And then we see in verse 7, and, and by, let me just stop and say this. The reason that fear controls so many people is you just don't want to trust God. That's just the reality. You just don't want to trust God. I, I've got two daughters, and they're both at like the dating, marrying age, uh, 23 and 25. And, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a fair fear that they have or question that they have or worry, if worry is the right word. That's probably too strong of a word. But like, am I ever going to get married? And, and Debbie and I, our constant response is, sweetheart, just trust the Lord. And their common response is, well, what is he doing? And our common response is, we've been asking. We don't know. But his timing is perfect. Have faith that he will do what is best for you in the proper time. Babe, stop stressing out. Because I've seen so many young single women marry losers. I mean, capital L, losers. There's an L on your forehead, loser, because you're fearful that this is the only bus in the depot. Well, if I don't marry him, I'll probably never get married. Better to never be married than marry a giant child who has a credit card that you have to be in charge of. Better to be single than a dude's surrogate mother. Do do you hear me? Faith controls Fear, fear doesn't control faith. If you're going to do it the right way. I guess it's the wrong way, it would. Finally, we see God guarantees his promise by his covenant, even though there will be challenging days ahead. Even though there will be challenging days ahead. Verse number seven. 
And the Lord said, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee a land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He's already believed. He's like, God, you've promised to give me this land. How am I going to know that I'm going to inherit it? And he said, God said to Abram, take me an heifer of three years old and a she goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Why three years old? Because that's when those animals were at their highest value. God does not, listen to me, God does not want your cheap worship. And God does not want worship that doesn't cost you anything. I make no bones about encouraging you to worship the Lord in giving and worship the Lord in tithing. You're like, well, how could I ever make it? Well, because God will provide because that's the promise of his word. And God is telling Abraham, I want a heifer that's the most expensive she'll ever be, a she-goat the most expensive she'll ever be, a ram the most expensive she'll ever be, turtle doves and pigeons, all of these are clean animals that mean that that could be that would one day be sacrificed in the name of the Lord for the children of Israel. These are all the, the animals that could be sacrificed for the name of the Lord to the children of Israel. I mean, this is a major, major event that is going on that God is speaking to Abraham. And in verse number 10, and Abraham took all these things and divided them in the midst um, and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. I want you to notice this, verse number seven, when God says to him, I am the Lord, I brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee a land to inherit it. Just some promises. There's four promises in this little passage. Number one, God's promise, God desires to reassure you when you doubt his promises. God desires to reassure you when you doubt his promises. God desires to reassure you when you doubt his promises. Now, did you hear me? God wants to reassure you when you doubt his promises. The problem is sometimes when you doubt the promise of God is that you don't go to God, and therefore God can't really reassure you because you're running everywhere else in the world other than going to the Lord. God wants to reassure you when you doubt his promises, but you've got to take the doubt to the Lord, not the doubt to your neighbor. I'm a pastor. I have people come and talk to me all the time. I love to help people in their walk with the Lord. It's, it's the highlight of my life. It's, it's the joy of my day to help people walk with Christ. But a lot of times people will substitute me for Jesus. And they'll come and they'll say, hey, pastor, can I talk to you about something? And they'll start talking to me about something about halfway through. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. They keep talking. I finally just have to interrupt. Wait, wait, wait. What is it, pastor? Let me ask you. Have you spent time with the Lord about this? Uh, this is what I get like 90% of the time. Uh, well, I thought about praying about it. Okay, let's stop right here. Let's pray right now. You go pray about it for a week. If you're still struggling with this, come back with me because I'm not the one that's gonna give you peace. God is the one that's gonna give you peace. And in the midst of doubt and in the midst of struggle, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of difficulties, God wants to bless you. And Abraham, verse number six, just believed God. It's a statement of fact. He believed God. And in verse number seven, dude's already doubting again. You say, well, he must be a sinner above measure. No, he must be normal like you and me. We all do this. And God wants to reassure you in the midst of doubt. Look at verse number nine. We read it earlier. Take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat and a ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Here's what's going on in verse number nine. God says, I want you to sacrifice a offering of worship to me. He had just given in chapter 14 tithes to Melchizedek, who is Christ, tithes of all. This, verse number 10, is over and above the tithe. This is a giving act of worship. And so I want us to understand this. God desires worship even when you're fearful. What does worship mean? To ascribe worth to. God desires worship even when you're afraid. 
Well, I, I, Pastor, come on. What does it mean to, to worship? It means that you will ascribe worth to the Word of God. You will do what God says. You will give God what He wants, and you will ascribe worth to Him even in the midst of fear. Truth be told, by our human nature, when we're fearful, we become hoarders. That's why some of your houses you could go into, like some things in mine, and there are things there from the 1970s that you're afraid to give away because one day you might use them, and it's got a 12-inch layer of dust all over it. But you're fearful. You hoard when you're fearful. God wants us to worship, listen, even when we're afraid. He wants us to worship even when we're afraid. God, I ascribe worth to you. I come to you. I need you. I'm going to worship you. Worship does not mean the lifting of the hands, though it can include that for sure. Worship is the lifting of the heart of saying your word is of such value that whatever you, here's worship, whatever you tell me to do, I value your word so much, I will do what you tell me to do. That's worship. I'll do what you tell me to do. Verses 13 to 16. The scripture says, And he said to Abram, Know of a certainty that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land and that, that is not theirs and shall serve them. God's talking about the children of Israel going into the land of Egypt, and they shall afflict them 400 years. The children of Israel were in Egypt a total of 420 years. And verse number 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Number three, as we understand God's guarantee, guarantees his promise by his covenant, even though the days would be challenging ahead. Number three, we need to understand that the timing and the process of the Lord seldom mirror ours. God doesn't have to answer your fear question right away. Matter of fact, God's not going to answer your fear question right away. That's a general rule. He's going to comfort your heart. He's going to give you grace. He's going to give you strength. But he's not going to remove the zip lines from your life. He's not going to remove the struggles from your life. He's not going to remove the fear of heights or claustrophobia. Man, I've got a lot of fears. Um, he's not going to remove the, those fears from your life. No, they're going to be there. Why? Because they help us to be dependent on him. They help us to trust in him. Uh, it's even fearful to come to another church where you don't know people at, uh, very well and to preach to them at our church, the, the people that stay like me. <laughs> or at least pretend that they do. It, it can be a fearful thing. Some of you, this is your first Sunday here or, or, or the fifth Sunday here or whatever, and you're still trying to figure out where do I go, what do I do, what church do I go to. It can be a, a fearful thing. I just want us to understand the fears will not be removed from life because God wants us to stay dependent on him, and his timing does not always match our timing. His, his process seldom mirrors our process. God is going to work in a way that only God can work, in a way who's, where it's far different than ours. Why? Because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways and God's trying to do something can I submit this to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ God's trying to do something in your life to make you more like him and he's bringing fear in your life to help you learn to trust him but pastor when is that wayward child going to come back when is my spouse going to start loving me again when is all that going to happen I don't know the answers to that but I do know this I know that God is working and God is in control and God is turning the waters whithersoever they will and God is bringing 
bringing things to pass. Don't jump off the ship of following Jesus because he has not met your timetable. And then lastly, in an effort to remind and encourage Abraham, verses 18 to 21, where it says, in the same day, the same time all this is going on, God made a covenant with Abraham, saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzites, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, uh, the Gadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphidims, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God, in an effort to encourage Abraham, repeats the promise. God repeats the promise. Did you hear me? God, does, God is so gracious and he's so kind and he's so loving that Abram, God comes to Abram and says, don't fear. Abram says, why shouldn't I fear? I don't have a son that you promised me 10 years ago. God says, I've got it under control. I promise you, you're going to have seed like the stars in the sky, Abram. It's going to be fun. Do not fear. And Abram's like, okay, I believe you. I believe you. And then just the very next verse, God has to remind Abram all over again, Abram, it's okay. And then we get to the end of the text and God has to remind him yet Again, can I help you to understand this? The redundancy of the scripture is not to waste your time, but to encourage your faith. Let me say it again. The redundancy of scripture is not to waste your time, but to encourage your faith. I've heard some well-meaning Christians, I, I hope they're well-meaning, that they've come to me and they're like, Pastor, you've preached that just out of a different book or a different church, because we're a verse-by-verse church. We go verse-by-verse through the Scripture like your church does. And they're like, Pastor, you just preached that. And it's, it's like we're repeating the same thing all over again. Yeah, because God's repeating the same thing all over again. Well, why does He do that? He does that because you and I need it. He does that because we're forgetful. He does that because we're weak. He does, you say, are you admitting to weakness? Yes, we're all weak. We're all flesh. We all fail. We all mess up. And if we're not going to follow the word, then we really mess up. So God is redundant in the word of God to say things repeatedly to us to help us stay strong in the faith. It's redundant for a reason. Not because God had nothing else to say. The book of John says if just the work of Jesus was, was written while he was on this earth, that the world itself could not contain all the books. I got a lot of books. I re- I've, every wall in my library is covered with books, floor to ceiling. Office, floor to ceiling. And I got books in other offices at our church. And I've got books in my in my sheds at home, the books I, I, I don't reference ever, in, in sheds at home, I've got about 15,000 books that I reference on my computer at, at the drop of a hat. I've got books everywhere. And John says that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written of all that Jesus Christ did. You say, what's the point? I'm saying so much could have been said about God, but he, in his perfect wisdom and in his perfect knowledge and in his perfect understanding of you and I, put in his word everything that we would need to know about him, everything that would help us walk with him, everything that would help us serve him, everything that would help us be encouraged in the Lord. And he reminds us over and over and over and over and over and over again to help us in our faith, to encourage us in our faith. See, all of this was written to Abram 
because of God's great love for him. And Abram in this test is a, or this text rather is a picture of what is to come. And what is to come in this text that we read about specifically in verses 9, 10, 11 is a picture of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. You know really why we don't have to fear is because of the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. If you're new to church, what that simply means is that Jesus, God's Son, left heaven and came to earth and he lived as only God could, a perfect, completely perfect life for 33 and a half years. He was falsely accused. He was crucified. That means put on a cross. His hands were nailed to a cross. His feet were nailed to a cross. His pierce was side. He bled for you and me. And the Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He bled for us. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave, showing that he has power over death, over hell, and over the grave. The final victor in everyone's life was not victorious over Jesus. Jesus was victorious over death. The only one who ever was, the only one who ever will be, Jesus was victorious over death and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is a testimony to you and I of God's power but God's power displayed in our life is to be done through that work on the cross where you and I must put our faith and trust in Christ alone if you really want to fear less you must trust more and that trust starts with accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior so, some of you came this morning with this idea. I just want to improve my life. I want to learn how to be fearless. So faith over fear, this over that. And I wrote some things down to help me and all those things. And so I'm just going to do better because I, I learned some, some Dale Carnegie-like bullet point principles to live my life by. Oh, dear friend, no, that's not the point at all. The point of the matter is that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And part of the curse of sin is fear in our life. And the only way that we'll have true victory over sin in our life and over death and over an eternity in hell separated from God is to realize we've sinned against God, repent of our sin, and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never repented, to, it means to agree with God that you've sinned against Him and turn from your sin and trust Him. If you've never repented of your sin, you need to do that today. Repent of your sin and trust only Jesus to save you. Not Jesus plus confession. Not Jesus plus the sacraments. Not Jesus Jesus plus being a good citizen. Not Jesus plus meditation. No, only Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus can save the souls of mankind. No one else, nothing else at all can ever save your soul. It is only Christ. And if you're a believer, the same one who saved you is the same one who wants to encourage you and wants you to put your trust in Him. Stop living in fear if you're a believer. Live in faith. God's in control. Well, Pastor, you don't know my circumstances. You're right, I don't. That's what makes preaching this message way easier here than at home. I don't know your circumstances, but if you're a believer, I do know your Savior. And I do know that he's in control. My husband's deploying for nine months. I get it. And God knows. And he's in control. My kids are sick. I get it. I'm not minimizing any of that. But God is still in control. And we're going to trust him. What if it doesn't work out the way that I want? It probably won't. 
It probably won't. But we're going to go ahead and trust the Lord because His ways are higher than ours and His thoughts are higher than ours. You know, I finished that zip line tour through near-death experiences. And when I got done, just being honest with you, I'm never going to do it again. Never. But I can promise you this. I was so glad I did it. I was so glad. And you know what? If you will trust the Lord and walk by faith and not by sight, you will be so glad you did it. Your life will be forever different because of your trusting in the Lord. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.